people uh, as a pastor to really look and to treasure Jesus? I mean, how does that happen? And I, I think, you know, as uh, going back over some old stuff that, that I remember that, that a, a, a pastor, John Piper, spoke to my heart a, a while back ago. It's, it's kind of like this. If you can get people to, to trade something of value for something of a greater value, then it's worthwhile. And so today, this is what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to lift up Jesus as so valuable and so beautiful that we'll want to trade everything else. See, I I don't think we start in Christian. I don't think you move people into Christianity as the Spirit would move them. I don't think he moves them going, oh man, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm wrecked. I'm, I'm not, I'm spiritually dead. I don't think that's how it works. I think the way we, people come to Christ, to come to Christ is this. They say, this is what you could be. This is what it was like before the fall. I mean, it was beautiful. It was perfect. Things should be this way. We feel that that way. We feel it in relationships. Our relationships should be a certain way. Our jobs should be a certain way. Uh, we, we feel that. We like, this, this isn't right. It's, something's wrong. And then all of a sudden the spirit begins to speak to us and we realize, wait a minute, the reason why things aren't right is because sin came into the world. Yeah, through Adam and Eve, but it began to wreck the world. Slowly began to degrade and degrade. It's not like just overnight, boom, there was a tsunami. But once the Garden of Eden happened, when they fell and they were kicked out, the earth began to slowly get worse. I mean, that's kind of the way it went. Bacteria began to grow. Viruses began to grow. So things began to get worse. And then what happens out of all that, as the slope goes downhill, then we realize, man, there's this big gap between God and us. And Jesus is the only one that can fill it. In fact, I I began to just write this stuff down. What is Jesus laying on my heart to the best that I can understand the Holy Spirit to give to you? I'm trying to do my best to lift up Jesus as the most valuable. This is what I, I just typed out. And the greatest treasure so that we will trade what we value for the greatest value. What do I mean? Uh, we don't start with the fact that we're dead. We start with who Jesus is, the Son of God, the great I am, the first and the last, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the one who brought peace, carries governments on his shoulders, the one crushed by God on our behalf so we can live. He was and is and forever will be perfect. He is our righteousness, our love, our hope, the one who walks on water so we can, even through the valley of the shadow of death. So the part of being a pastor that excites me the most is when people's eyes are open to see Jesus. That's when I get the most excited. When people can still glorify the Lord in regardless of any circumstance. When people can see Jesus that way, when their eyes are open, that excites me as a pastor. That just gets me so excited. Because when people begin to realize this, that I, and I wrote this down, where Jesus is the victor, the creator, the sustainer, the one who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, the one we always have hope in because he's in control of the future. He's in control of our relationships, our finances, our career. To do what said that cannot be done. He is the one who's victorious. Uh, God can and will change everything because he makes all things new. And so my goal is to get people to see Jesus in what they're in. So how do people see Jesus in that? How do people see, you know, they say, but John, I don't see Jesus. Like we're going to see Jesus when we're in heaven, but, but I don't see him now. How does that happen? How do we, how do we see Jesus? Well, it's very easy. It's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us in a certain way and it speaks to your heart and we begin to say, maybe God is doing something. That's how we see God now. It's through 
our hearts when the Spirit becomes alive within us. See, some people go around and say, John, I, I, don't see the, I don't see Jesus. All I see is problems. I see defeat. I see things going wrong. I, I don't even see that. So how, does, how do we see God? Well, I believe it's just how he taught the disciples, how he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you'll take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, or if you want to look at this online, it's all in the Facebook under Summit Church, or it's under the website at summitcharleston.com. You can look at all the sermon notes. They're right there. You can just go on the right-hand side where it says sermon notes. Click on that under summitcharleston.com. There it is. Boom. Everything's there laid out for you. So really, you know, how does this happen? Where does this, where does it come? Where does it come from and what's going on with that? So how, how do we see this? Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Let's just see what the word of the Lord says when Jesus said something profound. And I'm struggling to wrap my mind around it. But it's very interesting when he says it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, blessed are the pure in what? For they will what? John, but you're asking me today to see the Lord. Yes, our goal, our vision is every time we come together is that we experience the Lord. Well, John, don't you want something greater than that? No, because I have no idea what God's going to say to you. I have no idea where you are. And where God needs to take you, if you experience him, all I know is this, that if you experience God, then something awakens within you, becomes alive within you, the spirit within you, and begins to motivate you and change you and will you to act according to his good pleasure. And then you begin to move and flow with the calling of the Lord. Because Jesus, remember, is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at one time. So he's over here in the land of a broken place, waving to us saying, hey, I need you to come here, but we won't go there because our flesh is a wall that screams against it. And then the spirit, it comes alive within us. And the spirit tells us, Hey, look, there's Jesus. Our eyes are open. The veil is off. There's Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he's asking us to go to those places. And that's how it works. when We walk with the Lord. It's really that simple. That's how I know what sermon to preach. I just listen to the Lord and where he's at. He says, come be where I am. And as I begin to dive in where he is, then he begins to show me all these things. That's how it works. So John, how do I see God today? So I can experience him. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Well, John, uh, what do you mean? Like see God fully? No. First Corinthians 13 says, now we know in part, then we should know fully as we're fully known. We're not going to see him yet fully, but in this instance, we will begin to see God. And we'll begin to see God because we begin to see Jesus at work. And so because Jesus is at work, we can see him. So I believe there's two ways we can see God, but I'm just going to focus on one way today. Listen to this. Number one is this. First way we see God, God, excuse me, is in part now through the Holy Spirit. We only see him in part uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't see. First Corinthians thirteen twelve says this. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Yeah, there'll be a day when we're in the presence of God. We know, we understand everything. You will understand why, what happened to you when you were 12. You understand the circumstances that you were in. You understand why this relationship made a turn. You will begin to understand. You will look back and go, that makes complete sense. Right now, we have to walk by faith. And that's why we're in a sermon series 
called battling unbelief. Because you see, the enemy wants to destroy your faith. He can't destroy your salvation. He is a created being. He cannot destroy what he cannot give. He can't destroy what he doesn't have authority over and power over. Jesus is the only one who can give life. I am the way, the truth, and the... Only he can give that. The enemy cannot do that. He cannot take eternal salvation. He cannot do those things. But what he can do is he can cause you to doubt, Eve. He can cause you, he can cause you to question Adam. He can cause you to say, did God really say if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you will die? Did he really, I mean, just sow the lack of faith. And if we can, he will begin to do that in our life. Then all of a sudden, we, when we hear the spirit calling, we go, no way, God. We go, no, nah, I don't think God's really calling me because I'm not equipped. See, all, what happens, we begin. When you, when you have a lack of faith, you always look at yourself. You don't look at Jesus. Right? Are y'all with me this morning? All right? You, you look at yourself. You go, you go ah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, listen, there's a thousand times God called me to preach before I ever went and pastored because I always looked at myself and said, I can't do it, God. I can't. I won't. I don't want to. All those things. When God asks you to do things, your flesh's response is no. The battle says our flesh wages war with the spirit within us. There's a battle. For the call of God on our lives. And so we first look at that and we go, there's no way. But when we, so our faith begins to kick in as we experience God and God begins to say, listen, where there is no way, I'll make a way. Where, where there seems like nothing's going to happen, something will happen. Where, where there seems that there's tragedy and bad, I'll do something. And that's what's happened if we just flow in that. I'm telling you, as someone who has been walking with Jesus over and over and over again, if we just flow in that, it will happen. So what is, what does being pure mean? What is this idea? If, if, if I'm going to see God, what does being pure, what does it really mean? Blessed are the pure in what? For they will see God. So what does purity mean? I think Jesus, no, I know Jesus addressed it. He addressed it because, I mean, I know what you're saying, but John, I'm not pure in heart. Like you don't know my life. Well, you don't know my life. Like I'm not pure either, but I don't stand in front of God based on my merit. I stand in front of God on Jesus's merit. And there's a big difference. So how, what is this being pure in heart? What does this mean? Look at, look at Luke chapter 11, verse 39. We're going to look a little bit. Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 5 because we're going to end back there. But look over in Luke chapter 11, verse 39. And I think Jesus begins to unpack it for us. Luke eleven thirty nine 39 says this. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Pharisees are the people that if anybody walked with God in the day of Jesus, the whole world looked to them and said they walk with the Lord. They had all the outward adornment. They had the applause of the people. They had the power and the position of the whole country. They were the spiritual leaders and mentors. And as they went spiritually, so did the whole country. And Jesus calls out the spiritual leaders who are supposed to have the most pure in heart, right? 
the ones who are supposed to be seeing God and leading the people of God, he says this, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And I, and I owe a lot to John Piper in this teaching. I, and I'm going to quote him some too as well. Focusing on the outside of the dish means valuing how we look compared to how we value how much Jesus looks. And when you look at the outside cup, you begin to value how you look, how we look more than how Jesus looks. And, and the Lord was showing me that. And, and Matthew, think about it this way. Here's an example because we, we're trying to guard this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. I'll read this in the English Standard Version. It says this. Jesus said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees or exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you'll never enter. Could you imagine being a person and seeing all the Pharisees and the scribes and these religious leaders and saying, unless your righteousness is better than them, you're never going to go to heaven. If I was following Jesus at that point, I would say, well, I'm done. I mean, I can't be Mother Teresa. I can't be T.D. Jakes. I can't be Billy Graham. You know, I I can't be Stephen Furtick. I can't be whoever. I can't be Matt Chandler. I can't be all that. I mean, I I guess I'm just done. I guess there's, you know, my righteousness is not there. I mean, what, so what does that mean? What does it mean when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that? What he's saying is, is that nobody's righteousness can get them to heaven. No one. There's only one person's righteousness who can, and that is Jesus. The Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not one. So when we stand in front of the Lord right now, when you bow to pray, when you stand to worship, when you're reading scripture right now in this corporate gathering as we are entering into the presence of the Lord and his eyes are upon us for the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth seeking those whom he may strongly support his heart is completely his as he's looking on us right now. We do not stand in front of him on our righteousness. It is not on the way you dress. It is not on how much you memorize the Bible. It is not how many times you prayed. It is not how many times you served other people. It has nothing to do with that. All that stands negated compared to the righteousness of Jesus. And we stand under his righteousness. And it is his his name that we stand in. That's why our righteousness can exceed the Pharisees. Because we stand under his name. We pray in Jesus' name. We walk and talk. In him we live and move and have our being. It's all in the name of Jesus. So don't get down on yourself when you sin. Praise God that he's allowed you to recognize that. And as we then stand and recognize how great Jesus is, that he covers all our sins, that we can begin to proclaim and boldly the name of Jesus. So the righteousness that has exceeded the scribes and the Pharisees is Jesus. And that's how we get to enter. And that's what happened to them. They began to focus on the outside of the cup. They were valuing how they look compared to how Jesus looks. See, when people, when people value their own righteousness, they begin to manage their sin. They, they begin, right? We, we begin to take sin and put it in a closet. And we begin to say, nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. And then what happens, people don't feel the anointing of God around us. Uh, look, I'm going to go a little bit deeper in this. So what does pure in heart mean? What does it mean? It means this, and I'll just say what Piper said. It means pure in heart means to treasure one thing. L- 
listen, if I could give you a better car, a newer car, a, a, a more high dollar car than the car or truck that you had, you'd trade that thing in a skinny minute. You know you would because you would be trading something of lesser value for a greater value. It's not me saying to you, you need to trade your car because you're so bad. What gets you to trade your car is because there's something that you can have that's so good. Does that make sense? And that's why people give their lives to Jesus. Listen, our lives are valuable. If they weren't valuable, Jesus wouldn't have died for it. But what I'm trying to say is there's a greater value to give your life away. For any man wants to come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So we're trading our value of life for the greatest value of Jesus. So my goal today is to lift up Jesus and make him look so valuable and so treasurable that you would say, I am willing to sell everything. Matthew chapter 13, like the man who, who found this treasure in this field and he went back and he sold everything he had to buy the field just so he can have the treasure. See, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be awesome if we were willing to sell everything and go into the field that Jesus has us to work because the treasure is being with Jesus? Like, wouldn't it be worth it that you would say, I would give up my career, my future, my hopes, my dreams, because those dreams are not as treasurable, they're not as valuable as where I could be working and serving in the presence of Jesus. What if it was that valuable to us? What if our Lord was that valuable? He meant more than a sport. He meant more than my family. He meant more than my career. He meant more than my future. He meant more than my satisfaction or the way I felt about myself or my popularity. He meant more to me than that. Would it be really valuable to me that Jesus would become more popular than me? John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he'll what? Matt Chandler said it best, following Jesus does not mean that it will go well with you. John the Baptist was beheaded. Following the Lord does not mean it will go well with you, but the reason why that John the Baptist was willing to count his life as nothing was because that Jesus was so valuable. He was more valuable than his life. He was more treasurable than anything else. And here's what I've learned as a parent. The more that I value Jesus, the more my children are valuable to me. And I treat them better. When I value myself more than them, I treat them of less value. I treat them as that they don't mean as much. So what does pure in heart mean? Matthew chapter 23. Let's turn there. I told you, I'm sorry we're going a couple places. Keep you there and keep your hand in five, but... Matthew chapter 23. Let's break it down a little bit. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 27. It means to treasure one thing. Being pure in heart means to treasure one thing over anything else. That's what pure in heart means. It doesn't mean that you're sinless. Wait, you didn't hear that, did you? It It didn't mean that you're sinless. It means that you value the one who is sinless. Watch. Matthew 23. See, I think pure in heart means I got to scrub all the dirt off the dish. I got to scrub all the dirt. Here's what, no, I don't need to scrub the dirt off my dish. I need to get a new dish. I need a new life. You know, that was pretty good. I got two people to set all right on that one. Y'all, y'all need some donuts. I expect y'all better start going to Dunkin' Donuts. Y'all need a little sugar high for y'all coming here, all right? 
All right, this is Summit. This ain't no high dollar place, all right? So y'all got to, y'all got to get going on. All right, so Matthew 23, 25 through 27. Y'all, y'all, been, y'all, well, you, y'all on vacation. Here we go. All right, here we go. Woe to you, teachers of the law. That scares me. Thank you, Jesus. And Pharisees, you hypocrites. Oh, my. By the way, I just don't go to church because there are hypocrites in the church. There were hypocrites in the church in the beginning. Hello? Get over it. All right, here we go. You clean the outside of the cup. I mean, and we've read this, but it sounds, sounds pretty good. Let's try it again. You, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. In other words, your purity is that you value yourself over Jesus. 26, blind Pharisee. Oh, I don't like those words either because, you know, being a teacher, it scares me. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you. I mean, Jesus is like bringing the hammer. I mean, I love these people. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. Hallelujah. Jesus is love. Like a dove fitting in a glove. I have no idea why I said that. Um, But it rhymed. But my point being is this, is that Jesus is bringing the hammer with some really popular people right now. Like when the Pharisees walked around, do you you realize when they walked in the room, like people stood up? I mean, they, you know, I mean, they stood up. I mean, these are popular people. Beyonce has nothing on Jesus. Nothing. I mean, when these people walk into the room, uh, they're, they're somebody. And Jesus is calling them out, well, calling hypocrites, brood of vipers. Uh, we might say it today, snake in the grass. That's the clean version. Right? We, 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 we say things. Listen, he is calling these people out. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. I mean, these are powerful words. So what is it? What does purity, a pure in heart means? It means, as Piper said, to treasure one thing. He says, the impurity that Jesus cares about most is our failure to trust and love God. Let me say it again. The, the, the impurity that Jesus cares about most is our failure to trust and love God. The Pharisees love their image more than they love Jesus. The heart is made for God to trust him and love him. That's what it means to be pure in heart. To be pure in heart means to trust him and love him, to value him more than anything else. It doesn't mean clean up your dish. It means take on his dish, eat from his dish, dish, eat from the Lord's dish, Jesus. Remember what he said in John 6? Got it. You know, eat his flesh, drink his blood. Remember that? The meaning of impure is anything that takes God's place or lessens the degree of our faith in and our love for God, Piper said. That is so beautiful. He says purity rises to the degree that God is treasured supremely in Jesus. So if we want to be more pure and see God more, and it, which means experience God more, then, then what happens is we treasure Jesus more. People say, you know, I love what the old pastor said. Somebody, somebody said, Pastor, you know, uh, you, you, need to, you need to learn to, to love people more. He said, look, don't even get to the second commandment. I'm trying to get the first one down, right? Which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm just trying to get part one down. Here's what I do know, that if you love God much, you love people much. 
Those that don't love people much, don't love Jesus much. They don't pray, sweet Jesus, I need you. What they pray is, God, I can't stand you for not giving me what you needed. Because see, the Bible to them is not the word of God. The Bible to them is Aladdin. Aladdin. Poof, what you need, John? Well, God, I need a girl, I need some cash, and a great ride. And if you want to meet me like LeBron, hey. What you need, John? Granny's sick. Step up, God. Save the day. Why are you taking my granny like that? I mean, I thought you said you loved me. Why are you going to take somebody who I love? Why are you going to do... God, she said she wouldn't go out with me. Now look at me. You didn't create anything finer than this. The Bible becomes Aladdin's lamp and God becomes Aladdin. That's, that, see, here's what happens. When the Bible is an Aladdin's lamp or when my prayer is a vehicle to create God as an Aladdin, then the, really the treasure in my heart is me and not Jesus. But see, when I rub the Bible and God pops out, then I say, God, do whatever you want. Then and only then shall I see God because my heart is pure. My heart is pure, not because I didn't sin today. My heart is not pure because I was just perfect today. My heart is pure because I treasure Jesus. I can show you people right now in my neighborhood that are way more, have better morals than me and that sin less than me. Look, don't you know people right now that are unsaved that act more Christian than some Christians? Come on, can, can I, y'all can nod, nod your head. You did it, right? We do it at the parties. We can do it at worship. Let's go. Hey, hey. All right, so not my point, yeah, what's up, Jay? My point is this, is that that's what it is with the Lord. Being pure in heart doesn't mean, God, I didn't lust. I didn't lust one time today. Yesterday it was five, but today it was one. Glory, I'm doing great. You see, I didn't click on that. When it popped up on my Facebook news feed and it said, look at all them fails in the bikinis, I didn't look. Nope. I went down to the food section. Just a little gluttony. Right? Uh, that's not what God is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Because if all you do is manage sin, then you're just managing yourself. But when you fall in love with Jesus and he becomes the one that you treasure, then your heart is pure. See, the Pharisees managed sin, and Jesus destroyed it. Look, uh, let's, let's keep going. This is so good. It starts with the change of heart. Uh, it creates treasuring Jesus as the gift of God. This is where, as Piper says, this internal change is a gift. You see, that's when the Spirit is moving in worship. The Spirit, of moving, the Spirit is moving in worship when the Spirit awakens something inside you and you say, yep, there it is. Or, whoop, there it is. Right? That's when you know the Spirit is moving inside you because you begin to say, yes, I can agree with that. That speaks to me. God, maybe yes. Just maybe yes, I can believe you for that. Just maybe yes, I can do that. Just maybe yes, I can just love you. Listen, I'm not trying to get you to do anything except just love Jesus because if you love Jesus, then you will do anything that God can tell you to do. Immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So it's not about getting to do something. It's about Jesus and loving him and you have a pure heart because you value him more than anything else. 
See, the eternal changes the gift, like John 3, 7 said, where Jesus looked at Nicodemus, he said, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. See, it's an internal change, inside, internal, internal. Something gives life when the spirit is moving. Something happens. So, John, where do I go from here? Oh, I'm going to ask Robbie if you come up and play over me. I, I, need, I need a little bit of prophetic stuff. Um, I need this because we need to move. Listen, I, our corporate worship, do you know, I want to tell y'all something. Let me let you in on a secret here at Summit. So I, I've had people, friends of mine come and, and say that, are, that, are, that work in Christianity and, and work for like the state and other stuff. And I've asked them to come in and just secret, be secret shoppers at, at Summit. Did y'all know that? We had secret shoppers. And I said to myself, look, I said, man, I'm just getting kind of tired of, of, of just calling people to faith. Like, can we do something like different? Can we do something crazy? I just, you know me, I, I just want to do something weird because I like it. No, I'm just kidding. And, and so I, I said, and the one guy came to me. He's unbelievable. He works for the International Mission Board right now. He's phenomenal. I'll never forget. He came to me. He said, John, I'm going to tell you something. I said, go ahead and tell me. He said, don't you ever stop your invitation. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, man, that's who y'all are. That's in your DNA. That is who y'all are. Don't you ever stop that. Because that is, that, is, that is really who you are in Christ. That's the part of Summit's DNA. And so for me right now, to get us to this point, I would love to see where invitation were. Listen, the Bible says, first of all, there were apostles. That means there were church planners, right? There were people that were over the churches. The apostle Paul was over churches. Then there were prophets, people speaking prophetics with a prophetic word, which the Bible says we're in 1 Corinthians 14 to zealously seek prophecy. When you get a word from God, let me tell you something. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of the Lord is tested. When you get a word from God, you can just walk on because there is no fire in hell that can put out what God said. That, that means anything you walk through can't stop you. So I look at our time in the Lord. It would be awesome if people are sitting there, somebody comes and kneels and they... Holy Spirit says something. You get up and you go, but John, I'm not a member. Last time I checked, if you're a believer, that is membership in Christ's church. Now, there's membership at a community level, which we ask you to be a part of. We don't shy away from that. But the way they come and they speak a prophetic word where there are people interceding and praying, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to work miracles. I was reading in that today. My time with the Lord. Miracles. Last time people prayed, God did a miraculous movement. Discernment. Sometimes we pray over people. Where do I, I need discernment where I'm at. I just don't know. I mean, those are the things that should happen in a corporate community that can't happen in a private community with just you and the Lord. And that's who we are. So where do we go in here, from here? So I said all that to say, where do we go? What do we do? Where do I go? There's life and death, what like Piper said. There's life and death in the purity of the heart. I'm going to ask you today to ask the Lord, God, give me a pure heart, which means I treasure you more than anything else. And let's just be honest. Let's just take a step back in time with Jesus. We do not value Jesus like we should. Our time with the Lord sometimes is not the value in our life. Our prayer to the Lord sometimes is not the value in the life. God, I got so much to do. See, it's life and death. And I'll show it to you scripturally. 
Some of you already memorized this scripture, John 15, 5. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the what, saints? If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Life and death impurity. You can't do anything without a pure heart, which means to treasure Jesus. It doesn't mean that you manage sin. It means that you allow Jesus to erase your sin. To eradicate the desire of your heart towards any sin, but to look to Jesus who is so beautiful, who casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Jesus that I've seen to heal marriages. I'm talking about the Jesus that has changed people's lives, that has taken people that were going nowhere and took them somewhere and reached a lot of people anywhere because he can do anything for those who are willing. For those who are pure in heart, I'm going to tell you something. I'd rather have somebody broken in front of the Lord that says do anything that's coming out of the worst background. To me, that's more pure in heart than somebody that comes down here and says, God, I need to repent from this sin. And they just continue and continue and continue to let that sin dominate them. I'd rather have that. Piper said we experience that power and the willingness to engage in the radical and persistent attacks on our sinfulness. Matthew 5, 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Another word for that field is satisfied. So many people look in their life for satisfaction in a relationship, in a career. If I just had finances, if I just had these sports accolades, or if I just could get, if I could just get to here. A lot of you in transition because you're working towards a new degree or you're working in a place in your life or changing your life or whatever else. If you can just get there, you'll be satisfied. I want to tell you something. The Bible says there is nothing that will satisfy you but Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. There was nothing that you can do that will give you the deep satisfaction unless you hunger and thirst for the pure heart of Jesus. Hunger and thirst, I love what Piper said, are relentless. It never, hunger and thirst never stops. They are signs of life, right? If we were in a desert and we were hungry and we were thirsty, it's a sign of life. When you're not hungry and you're not thirsty, you're just about dead. We will do almost anything in our power to satisfy that hunger and thirst. This is how Jesus teaches us to pursue purity in our life. So go back to Matthew 5, 29, and we're going to end up with this. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. And this is how, look, this is how you have to battle unbelief. This is how you have to fight faith because if you don't fight for faith, you won't love Jesus because in faith is this love of the Lord. Faith increases our love and trust for the Lord. So we have to battle unbelief because Satan is battling our love for Jesus. He's battling the purity of our heart. Yet the Bible says, Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that lasted three chapters. He says something profound. And, and as I li- read and looked at what Piper said, it just, and the Spirit was just speaking to me powerfully. John, this is how you pursue a pure heart. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye 
causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell Jesus said hell I'll say it again Jesus said hell there are not many churches out there today that will talk about hell see they talk about hell and if they do they talk about hell like this hell if you ever talk about hell talk about it with tears in your heart don't talk about it with anger in your spirit I was thinking about hell the other day you know the Bible says hell is a place of darkness tell me about sads Come on, somebody knows it. What is SADS? A type of disorder. What type is it? Seasonal affective disorder. It's around people that say, I-, I need more sunlight. I need it to be light more, right? They can't stay when it's dark. They can't stand the time change when it gets dark uh, for long periods of time. Sometimes they move closer to, to the beaches or they move closer south where it's brighter. It's a seasonal affective disorder. And, I, and, and like the Lord showed me when I was talking about darkness. What was interesting about that is, is that in the land of darkness, in the land of hell, can you imagine all that you had is darkness and there was no light? Can you imagine the attack even in hell on your mind? not just the pain in your body heart broke when I thought about that and Jesus is saying it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell in other words pursue a pure heart and if your right hand causes you to stumble cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell now some of you are saying John are you telling me that I am to gouge out my eye that I'm to cut off my hand when I sin? Is that what is Jesus teaching self-mutilation here? No, I, I don't believe that's what he's saying. I don't, I don't believe that's what he's saying. I believe it parallels Matthew eleven twelve, which says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. What I, what I think he means is this. Let me just read to you what Piper said because I can't say it better. Taking the kingdom by force may be a way of repeating what Jesus said about fighting against lust. Like if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Tear out your eye or cut off your hand. He is... He, Piper would say, do whatever it takes to inherit the kingdom and not go to hell. Take the kingdom by force, force against your sin, not force against God. The battle for righteousness in our hearts is fierce. So when he says, those who take the kingdom of heaven by force, he's not saying it's the attack on the kingdom. He's saying it's the people in the kingdom that are attacking the, the, the sin in their life, they're attacking it, trying to keep the pure heart to treasure Jesus more than anything else. That's what it means to take the kingdom by force. There's three things we see about this battle. Number one, here we go. First, the eye of the organ is the first to be attacked. The eye is the first organ to be attacked. The battle for purity of heart before the purity of bed. In other words, what he's saying, without the purity of heart, everything in the bed is impure. You see what he's saying here? He's saying this. He's saying that if you're lusting after something, even if you're doing something for God, it makes it impure if Jesus is not the treasure. Because if what I'm doing is really for me, I'm a Pharisee. That's what he's saying. And it's not done for the Lord. Uh, He said it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I surrender my body to the flames, 
Or if he says this, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames and have not love, I gain nothing. I can step in front of a car and push my wife and children out of the way and be killed. And if I did it for my name, in God's eyes, it means nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 3. So number one, the eye is the first thing to be attacked because the eye is, is almost the first gateway for us to lose our purity. And what we look at will begin to treasure more than looking to him. All right, the second thing is this, is that in other words, Jesus says to tear out your right eye, Piper said. The significance of this is that at least, listen, so he's not saying literally cut your eye out. Whoever said that, if you ever taught that, that's ridiculous. Here's why I'll prove it to you. You ready? Check this out. If I tear out my right eye, do I still have another eye? Which means I can still lust. So if Jesus was literally saying tear your eye, why didn't he say tear out both? It's, in other words, he's kind of giving an illustration. He's saying this. He's saying this. To attack the impurity in your heart with such violence as if you were to attack the eye and cut it out. It's that serious, attack it like that. Anything that comes before Jesus, I have to attack with violence in a sense. I have to be aggressive in a sense. I have to go after it because it's taken away my value of Jesus. Now, I want you to stop for a moment. What is it today that we need to attack that's taking our value of Jesus to be less than number one. That's what he's saying in there. The battle for, I love this, the significance he said of this is that it leaves the left one intact to awaken just as much lust as before. Therefore, Jesus' point is not that literally tearing out the right eye is going to solve anything. The point is not that inward desires can be controlled by external maiming. The point is how enormous the stakes are. They are so great. We must do what we have to do to defeat the bondage of that sinful desire in our life. It is astonishing. He said, how many people deal with sin casually? Fight for a pure heart with the same urgency as tearing out the eye and cutting off the hand. And then the last thing I, I want to make note of this, and this is not, I mean, this is obviously he's stating to people that have not followed him. He says, see, if you don't value and treasure me with a pure heart, if you don't take it as serious as gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand, if you don't take, if you don't take it that serious, then the end result is hell. Look there in verse 29. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Look at the end of verse 30. He repeats himself. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So if you're not a believer and you've tried to live in your righteousness, I want you to know today that your righteousness will never be enough to reach the Lord. Never. And so that's why there's this gap and this chasm and that's why the cross is so beautiful because it not only brings God to us but allows us to go to God.
So it's the righteousness of Jesus. So I, I need to treasure him and value him in that. And so today, if you don't know, if you walk out of here today and you're still not a believer, it's not because you couldn't be one. It's because you chose not to be one. Because the Spirit is awaking something inside you to give you life. And then for those that are believers, which are the vast majority in this room, I want to ask you a question. Are we going after, are we going after a pure heart the same way Jesus would say that people take the kingdom of heaven by force? They seek the Lord to treasure him. So what today, I want to ask you, what today in your life is more valuable than Jesus? Let's be honest. Is it family? Is it ourselves? What is it? Because you see, to come to Jesus, he's going to ask you to give your life away. And that's just the way it's going to work. And only you can surrender. The spirit is calling. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. The flesh says people will look. Pride sits in and says, I don't want to do it. What will people think? The Spirit is willing. What do you need to attack today to keep Jesus pure in your heart? Because ultimately, I want you to see God. But most importantly, God wants you to see Him. Let's pray. Father, I don't want to come in a prayer or in a sermon with wise and persuasive words. But I want to come with a demonstration of spirit and a power. I want to come with an attitude and a heart that will please you. So Lord, I don't know what people need to pray about today. That is why our invitation is so important. Lord, I don't know if they need to pray in here increase my faith. I don't know what they need to pray. I don't know if they need to come forward and just say, God, I want to have a pure heart. May, may that just be our, our call today. I just want to have a pure heart, Lord. I want to value you more than anything else, Lord. Who needs to come forward and just kind of pray that today? I know that's been their prayer. They prayed it a thousand times, but you know, it's good to kind of renew that within us. That today we will just come and just really get real with the Lord today and say, God, give me a pure heart. Give me a pure heart in this. Give me that heart, Lord. I want to violently come after you. I want to be that aggressive in coming after you. God, I pray you'd flood this place today with believers that are crying out to you that want the blessing of the pure in heart for they will see God. Where do we need to see you, God? Do we need to see you in our work or in our family or in our health or in our finances or in our grandchildren or in our future? Where do we need to see you, Lord? Where do we need to see you in a relationship? Where do we need to see you in our hearts cry? Where do we need hope? Do we need encouragement? We can come to you because of the righteousness of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do you want to see God?